At some point in life, we all have to ask ourselves, what are we for? How will we make a difference in our time and place? Because we have been called. Called to rise up and attempt great things for the kingdom. A kingdom that is bigger than a city. It's bigger than a state or even a country. It's a kingdom that covers the globe. And unlike realms of the past, whose rulers have faded with history, our king is alive. And he has called us to spread the good news of hope and love, to build up a community that impacts the world for good, to make our mark for his kingdom. Good morning, good morning, church. Welcome to our series. This is the conclusion of our great series we've been in called For the Kingdom, and it has been such a powerful series, and God has been speaking to all of us, I hope and pray, in this series, and we have been walking together and just praying together and laughing together and crying together, but it's been so deep and rich as we've had this 50 days of prayer and seeing people take their next step in their spiritual journey, and so many people being baptized, and so many people joining the church, and so many people being generous, and just seeing life change happens. And I, I ran into a, a lady this week, and, and she said, hey, Pastor Jeff, I got to tell you, she goes, it was amazing. I watched my last week as we had our commitment Sunday, and we, we all came down front, and she said, before that, my, my daughter, my four-year-old daughter went and got her entire piggy bank, and she just said, you know, I want to give this to God. I want to just give all this to God. And she said, you know, as a mom, I'm just watching this. And, and then she took some of the money out and she gave it to her, her little brother who's two and said, here, I want you to have something to give to God too. And, and when all these kids came in, she said, I just began to cry. And I thought, you know, we live in a world of consumerism and materialism. And we live in a world where it's always more and more and more and more stuff. And, and to see my kids learning to be generous and to see my kids wanting to do things for God, she said, I just want to say thank you. Thank you to the church. Thank you for what God's doing. I just... Love it. And I just thought, yes, yes, in church, that's you, and that's us, and that's God moving and God working together for the glory of God. And I love being on this journey with you. I just love seeing life change happen, and it's so exciting and just deep, and it's rich. And, you know, in our series, we've been tracking with the children of Israel back in the Old Testament. And we've seen as God gave them this call to, to build a temple in the center of their community, something that God would use to impact generations. And the, and the whole community came together to be a part of that. And we saw last week as they finished building the temple, and then God moved in, right? This cloud came down, and, and God moved in, and the people just rejoiced. The people are like, man, we can't believe it. We get to be a part of what God's doing, and this beautiful building wasn't just empty. It was filled with the glory of God, and the dead became alive. And you know what? That's what God's done in us. I mean, we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, right? We had no help or no hope. And then God moved in through the grace of God, through Jesus Christ, his son. And our lives will never be the same. And the dead comes alive. And there's joy and there's hope and there's peace in Christ. And we want to celebrate that and that amazing truth today. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I invite you up with me back to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles this is our last time for today as we kind of conclude this series, but it has been so good. Second Chronicles, back in the Old Testament, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, that whole section right there. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some free Bibles in the back. Love for you to grab one, hold on to that as you want to take notes 
follow along. And also, it's kind of our last week in our For the Kingdom books, our, our journey guides. And so page 40, if you want to take notes with us today and see what God's Word has to say to us today. And it's so relevant and powerful. So pick up here in verse 1, 2 Chronicles chapter 6. It says, Then Solomon, Solomon, remember, is the king at this time. And then Solomon said, the Lord has said that he would dwell in a dark cloud, and I have built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. So if you want to take notes with us, here's a couple of things to write down. The temple was completed and God moved in. It took them seven years to build the temple, right? They didn't have any cool equipment, you know, big front-end loaders, you know, big cranes. To move. They, they did all this kind of stone cutting by hand, bringing timbers down from the cedars of Lebanon and bound the Mediterranean Sea and bringing all that into Jerusalem. It took them seven years, the entire nation working together, you know, people making courage, people giving, people cooking food, people taking care of being a part of all of this, and they completed it. And they completed it after seven years. And so the whole nation comes together to celebrate, and they're all there. And Solomon goes, God, this is all for you. God, use this. God, however you want to, God, this is all for you. Now, now here's, here's, here's what's amazing. You see the temple right there, and you see the outer courtyards, and, and there will be people there worshiping God. You can see the big part, that's the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant would dwell, right? And only one time a year, the high priest would go in there to offer sacrifice, a sin of atonement for the whole nation. So this thing is massive. You can see it's built on Mount Moriah, and, and you can see how big it was, where everybody would come for feasts three times a year. Now, the Holy of Holies was separated by a giant curtain, 30 feet high, 30 feet wide, and it would be as thick as a man's hand. And so that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place where the priests were, and then out into the courtyards where all the people would gather to worship. What's amazing, this was built in 950 B.C. And you can go today to Jerusalem, and there is the Western Wall. And you go there, and these are the actual stones still today, almost 3,000 years later. And this is one of the most sacred places in the entire world. People come from all over the world, and they take little prayers, and they write it on cards, and they stick them in the cracks there, because this place is so special. And I mean, these people would have never dreamed what they were doing was going to impact generations. But we see that as they built this temple, and the temple was completed, and God moved in. And then look what happens. Solomon blesses the people for their hard work and for their commitment. Look at verse 3. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned around and he blessed them. He blessed them. Now, I, I got to tell you, I love that. Now, I love that Solomon, right, he turns around and goes, guys, great job. Well done. We, we all love to hear that. If you're a dad here, you know what? Your words carry weight. If you're a mom here, your words carry weight. And what you say shows what you value. And if you're a grandparent here, or, or you are an aunt or an uncle, you, your words carry weight. And, and so when we bless our children, we, we don't want to just say, hey, great, you scored a goal in soccer, way to go. I mean, we want them to score a goal. That's good. That's great. But, but that's not the only thing we want to bless them for, or bless them for getting an A in social studies. We want to bless them when we see them doing great things for the kingdom. We want to bless them and say, that was awesome that you brought an offering to the Lord. Good job. You invited somebody to church. That was awesome that you 
took care of your younger brother, that you looked out for somebody around you. Our words carry weight. And for us to think about that in every opportunity that we have, that we can be a blessing. And Solomon's like, I want to bless the people. This was incredible. I, I just want to tell you guys, just as your pastor, I want to bless you. I mean, these 50 days have been remarkable. And seeing life change happen, and, and you inviting people to church, and you praying, and I, and I hope and pray God's been inspiring you during this time to live our lives for the glory of God. And I just want to say, way to go. Blessings. Solomon blesses the people. Then he said, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who with his hands has fulfilled what he promised with his mouth to my father David, for he said, since the day I brought my people out of Egypt, I've not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built so that my name might be there, nor have I chosen anyone to be ruler over my people Israel. But now I have chosen Jerusalem for my name to be there, and I've chosen David to rule my people Israel. He's saying, guys, look at what God's done. God chose us. God chose us to place the temple here. God chose us to bless us. Thank you, God. Have you ever thought about this? God chose you. God chose you. It wasn't that you like were so good, like you had everything. God looked down in his sovereignty and his grace, and he chose you. You are the love of his life. You are the joy of his heart. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He loves you. And if your confidence is ever like fading or if you're ever anxious or worried, just think about that for a moment. Man, the God of the universe chose me. The God of the universe has been drawing me to himself. The God of the universe is inviting me into a relationship with him. That ought to just perk you up. And for Solomon, he's like, look at God chose us. Wow. Never forget that fact, that you were chosen, that you were a son or a daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And then Solomon prays a prayer of dedication over the temple. Look at verse 12. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands. Now he had made a bronze platform, five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and he placed it in the center of the outer court. He stood on the platform and then knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. Notice how his outward posture changes. He raises his hands and then he builds his platform, but instead of just stepping up on the platform saying, hey, look at me, he kneels down and he raises his hands. You know, your outward posture impacts your inward posture. You ever thought about that? Your outward posture impacts your inward posture. If you're ever struggling, if you feel like your, your prayer life's grown a little stale, you know what? Just change your outward posture. You know, change your outward posture. I mean, it, don't just simply pray. You can pray, drive along in your car, it's fantastic, or pray meals, fantastic. But sometimes go and kneel down. Or sometimes go and just open your hands and say, hey, God, <laughs> your outward posture will impact your inward posture. Same thing is true in worship. You know, I mean, it'd be easy to kind of just stand, okay, get, but, but your outward posture impacts. Your outward posture, just, here's my hands. God, here I am. God, I want to worship you. I'll, I'll tell you, today, there's a football game. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, Titans are playing today. I don't know, it's kind of a big game that's happening, right? The Patriots, now, there's not going to be a lot of people standing around just going, okay, here's the game, right? I mean, people are going to be like into the game, right? 
And there's something that happens when you and I change our outward posture, and Solomon knew that. And God, I want all glory to go to you. I'm just going to give you the praise. I'm going to give you the glory. God, I'm going to humble myself before you. I'm going to worship you. Just change that posture. And he prays this beautiful prayer of dedication. And he goes all the way through chapter 6, and he closes chapter 6 here, verse 40. says, Now, my God, may your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Now rise, Lord God, come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests, Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your faithful people rejoice in your goodness. Lord God, do not reject your anointed one. Remember the great love promised to David, your servant. And so right there in front of all the people, he just prays this prayer of dedication. God, we dedicate this place to be used for your glory. You know, there's power in dedication, Whenever you move into a new house or a, a new condo or a new apartment, take a moment and just dedicate it. Yeah, maybe pray with a friend, maybe pray with your family, maybe you say just, God, this is your place. God, may this house be a place, God, that we use for your glory. We can host community group. We can invite neighbors over, God. We, we pray that, God, this will be a place of peace. We pray for our children or grandchildren that they grow up here, that they hear about you. God, we dedicate this place to you. Take some time to dedicate that. Maybe you get a new job. Dedicate that office. Dedicate that cubicle, you know, to the Lord. I mean, you don't have to go, hey, everybody come around. We're going to have a big prayer time right now. It's no. But just walk over and just say, God, I want to pray right now over this space. And I pray, God, that you would work here. I pray, God, that you would use me in this company to make a difference, to make an impact for you. I, I pray, God, that the resources you trust into me, God, I'll use those for you. God, I dedicate this to you. You know, at Rolling Hills, we have what we call family dedication. Uh, we don't baptize babies. Some of you may have been baptized as an infant. That's great, you know, but it wasn't your decision, right? That was your parents' decision. So it's more of a dedication time. That's wonderful. But we have a family dedication, when, when babies are born or young children, and we do it about four times a year, and it's amazing, one of the most special times. It's like a holy moment. As families say, God, you entrusted this child to us. That's a pretty incredible to think about right there, right? You know, God, you entrusted this child to us. And nobody else is going to be their dad or mom but, but me. And Father God, we dedicate our family to you. We dedicate this child to you. And, and that's what's happening right here in this moment. If Solomon is saying, hey, we just didn't do a great building project and then kind of move on and peace out. No, no, no. We want to dedicate this back to the Lord. God, use this for your glory. And then notice this. God shows up and God blesses the temple. Chapter 7, verse 1. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, can you imagine all these people are gathered around and all of a sudden fire comes down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. I mean, can you imagine being there? And you're having this time and you're praying, God, we dedicate this to you and all of a sudden, fire, whoosh. Like, whoa, I mean, fire always represents the Holy Spirit in the scriptures, right? And the fire comes down and God says, this is my house. This is my house. This is where I'm going to be. And verse three, when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement 
with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, His love endures forever. Their posture changed real quick, didn't it? <laughs> their posture changed. All of a sudden, they're like, Whoa, okay, I'm humbling myself before God. And they get on their knees and they just worshiped Him. And then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord. And King Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 head of cattle. I try to get your head around that one. 22,000 head of cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. That's a lot. 120,000 sheep and goats. So the king and all the people dedicated the temple to God. Now, this dedication, guys, went on for 14 days, okay? Seven days at this celebration, this dedication. Then they had seven days of the Feast of the Tabernacles because God had established an exodus three times a year. Wherever you were living, right, you come to the tabernacle, you come to the temple on Passover, Pentecost, Feast of Tabernacles, and you have a time of worship. You come there. So for 14 days, they're all there. And they're celebrating God, and they're worshiping him. And verse 10, on the 23rd day of the seventh month, he sent the people to their homes, joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord had done for David and Solomon and for his people, Israel. Listen, when you are in God's presence, there is joy. After 14 days, he sends the people home, and they are filled with joy, and they are glad in heart. God, I can't believe we get to be part of this. God, you are the creator of all that there is. And God, you've invited us into your story. God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And they were filled with joy. You know, they're just high-fiving. They're going home. They're so excited. They're so grateful, so thankful that they got to be a part of this. It took seven years, but they're seeing God move in and lives that are going to be changed for generations to come. And then... Then we notice this, God's call to obedience. God calls his people to obedience. Look here in verse 11. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night. Now remember, this is the second time that God appeared to Solomon. Remember when they started this whole thing? God appeared to Solomon, his dad David, has gone on to be with the Lord, and now it's Solomon. And Solomon's like, I'm young, I'm inexperienced. How am I going to lead these people? How am I going to build this temple? And God appears to him and says, Solomon, you can ask for anything. What do you want? Instead of asking for money, instead of asking for long life, instead of asking for the death of his enemies, Solomon says, God, I want wisdom. I want wisdom to lead your people. I want wisdom to be you know, a man, right? I mean, we all need wisdom, right? God, give me wisdom to lead my family. God, give me wisdom to love them well. God, give me wisdom in my marriage. God, give me wisdom in my life. God, give me wisdom. And Solomon prays for wisdom. And now, after the completion of the temple, God comes back and he appears to Solomon. And this time he says, I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. Now look at verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray... And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. You've probably heard that verse before, right? You've heard that and you're like, where'd that come from? Right here, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Now think about this. 
God is saying to Solomon, you built this temple where he's saying, hey, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, will humble themselves and recognize that, that I'm God and they're not, you know, because they're, they're going to get prideful, they're going to get arrogant, and there's going to be come back to recalibration that I am God, I am sovereign. They will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. Sometimes people will go, well, you know, I, I just don't hear from God right now. And I'm like, okay, well, what's going on in your life? Because if there's some sin that you're into right now, I mean, you're going to block it, right? I mean, if you're dealing with an affair, you're struggling with pornography, you're struggling, right? It's going to block that communication, right? Turn from their wicked ways. Be obedient to God. Hey, if you turn from your wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. You know what God's saying? God's saying, I'm going to be faithful. Even when my people aren't faithful, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be there. And no matter what happens, no matter the good times, no matter the struggles, no matter the difficulties, hey, I'm going to be there. And you can always come back to me. And praise God that we have a God of second chances, and we have a God of third chances, and we have a God of fourth chances, and fifth chances, and ninth chances, and twentieth chances, and a hundred chances, because he is faithful. And God said, I'm going to make it clear. So wherever you are today, man, you're not too far for God. You can turn back anytime. It's called repentance, and it's coming back to him. Now my eyes will be open, and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. And that's why we are 3,000 years later, and people still going to the Western Wall, and people still placing prayers and saying, hey, God, hear this prayer. Hear this prayer prayer. Guys, understanding the temple is essential to understanding the Bible and the heart of God. Understanding this is God's plan. This is God's plan for redemption. This is God's plan for relationship. See, it's understanding that the temple focuses on prayer. It focuses on a relationship with God. It's not just religion. It's not just going through the same motions. It's, it's really developing this relationship with him. It's talking to him, but it's also listening in hearing what God has for our lives, but it also focuses on sacrifice. That we have a part in this story to bring our sacrifices, but the sacrifice we offer now is our life. And when God moves in, this is not the end, but the beginning. It's not the end, but the beginning. It's not like they built a temple and they go, wow, look at this, it's an architectural marvel, way to go, let's go do something else, right? They just walked away, no, no, no. They said, God is here. And we're a part of God's story. Let's worship. Let's live our lives for him. This temple, this temple stands for about 1,000 years, okay? Built in 950 B.C. by Solomon, right? It impacts generation after generation. The people do become disobedient to God. You can read throughout the prophets, and you can see the prophets are saying, turn back to God, turn back to God. But because they're disobedient, the Babylonians come in, and in 586 B.C., the temple's destroyed, just like God said it would be. And God said, hey, if you're disobedient to me, it'll be destroyed for 70 years. He told them that in advance. And sure enough, they're, they're taken off into exile. But while they're in exile, they start praying that 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. 
Cyrus, the king of the Persians, the Persians come in, they conquer the Babylonians, and Cyrus says, hey, Jews, you can return back to Jerusalem. You can go back and rebuild the temple. Now, guys, that never happens. When a nation's defeated, they're done. It's out. They're over. But God says, no, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. And they come back, and in 516 B.C., 70 years, exactly like God said, the temple's rebuilt by Zerubbabel. And this temple stands all the way. Jesus is dedicated at the temple. I mean, that's powerful to think about that, that impact of the people as they gave and they sacrificed would impact generations. Now, here's amazing. Here's what's amazing. Jesus at Passover, right? Jesus is taken. He's nailed to a cross. There's people there from all over who are worshiping there. And when Jesus dies on the cross, you remember what happens when Jesus dies on the cross? There's an earthquake. The sky goes black. The centurion, the Roman centurion, looks up and says, truly, this is the Son of God. But it also tells us that the temple veil, that 30-foot-high temple veil, 30-foot wide, as thick as a man's hand, it says at that moment when Jesus died, the temple veil that separated the Holy of Holies where God dwelled from the rest of man was torn in two from top to bottom. This is no human who could have done that. God just says, I'm making a way. I'm making a way. I'm moving in to have this intimate relationship with you. Your price for sin is atoned for. Jesus paid it all. When Jesus died on the cross for your sins and for my sins, that we could have this relationship with God. Praise be to him. And our lives will never be the same. And the joy that comes in Christ and in Christ alone. You know what? When you become a Christ follower, it's not the end. It's the beginning. It's not the end, like, hey, I prayed and accepted Christ, and great, good deal, I'll see you, God, in heaven, you know, I'll just go do my own thing, right, and I'll come back around to you. No, 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 no. It's living our lives for the glory of God. And so our lives become a, a, just a testimony to the God that we serve, the joy that we have. I was talking with a guy who, just the last week, and he said, you know, Jeff, I was at church a couple weeks ago, and he said, I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, this feeling came over me that I've never experienced in my life. And he said, here I am in my 30s. I've been living my life for myself, and it's all been about me. And right there, right on a Sunday morning, I just said, okay, God, I want my life to be about you. I accept Jesus in my life. Forgive me my sins. He goes, man, I just got to tell you, I've never experienced anything like that in my life. He said, so what do I do now? What do I do? And I said, I love it, man. I tell you, it's the beginning. It's not the end. It's the beginning. Here's what you do, right? You be baptized baptism. The Bible talks about repent and be baptized. Baptism follows your salvation experience. Jesus was baptized at the age of 30. And it wasn't the end of his earthly ministry. It was the beginning. So many times people think, well, you know, once I get everything figured out, then I'll get baptized. Once you get everything figured out, it's the beginning to be baptized, to, to join the church, to say, hey, I want to be a part of the body of Christ. I want to be invested here. And then living a life of knowing and serving God. Living a life of saying, God, I want to live for your glory. I want to live for your kingdom. Live a life for him. See, God is alive in his church today. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me over here to Acts. Acts chapter 2. Guys, this is incredible. Check this out. Acts chapter 2. So going from the Old Testament to the New Testament. 
okay? Jesus, right? Jesus, after his resurrection, he appears to over 500 people. He has these 12 disciples. There's people who are growing right in Christ. There's about 120 believers now he ascends into heaven. And in Acts chapter 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost came. Now, Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. All right? Seven weeks, seven days in a week. That number seven is holy number, right? So seven times seven, 49. So the 50th day, they would celebrate Pentecost. And everybody's coming back to the temple. Wherever you are living, you're going to come back to the temple to worship. So Jerusalem swells to four to five times its normal size everybody's back for Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Now, this is the 120 believers. These guys are all together. They, they know Jesus is the Messiah, and they are there, but they're scared, right? They've seen the Romans crucify Jesus. They're like, God, what do you want us to do next? What should we do? And suddenly, verse 2, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. <laughs> How incredible is that? They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And they, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit moves in, and lives are being changed. And God says, here I am. The Holy Spirit comes in fire, just like moving into the temple and the church becomes alive. And these people who were scared to death because Jesus had just been crucified and they're thinking, are we next? Now they go out and start telling everybody about Jesus. They, they go out at Pentecost and they're telling everybody about Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He died on the cross. He's resurrected. He wants you to have eternal life with him. You can have a relationship with God. And the boldness that comes over as the Spirit filled them. There are people there who speak in all kinds of different languages, and they're talking and they're understanding them. And it says in verse 40, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. So here's Peter standing out on the southern steps of the temple, and as people are coming into the temple, he starts saying, hey, guys, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. And it says that those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people. That's church growth right there. I mean, it's like, wow. I mean, from 120 believers to now 3,000 people. And they're baptized, and they become a part of the church. The Southern Steps, we got a picture of the Southern Steps, and if you get a chance to go to Jerusalem. We do a biblical study tour every two years. We'll go again next year, 2019. But we will stand on these steps. And these are the steps that people were coming in to the temple, and Peter stood out there and said, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. And all of a sudden, all these people come to know Christ right there at Pentecost. Neil Armstrong, Neil Armstrong said, I was more excited to step onto these steps than I was stepping on the moon. Because these are the steps that Jesus walked up, and these are the steps where the church was born. Can you imagine? The Holy Spirit came, and lives were changed, and it says this in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, then the church, they devoted themselves, the apostles' teaching, and to the fellowship, to being together, to the breaking of bread, communion, and to prayer, 
everyone was filled with awe. And many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. They were all like, check it out. Look what God's doing. There was an excitement there. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They had a common mission, a common purpose to further God's kingdom. And they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. You know what that means? That means that people were more important than possessions. <laughs> and if they saw a need, they would say, hey, I can sell something. If I can help somebody else, I can further their journey along. If I can meet a need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. You remember that big outer court? Now the church is meeting there in the outer court. 3,000 worshiping together. They had corporate worship. They met together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes. It's just like we do, right? They had community groups. They had small groups meeting in their homes. They had men's studies. They had women's studies. They had corporate worship in the temple courts and they met in homes and shared together and studied together and grew together. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There it is. The joy when God is moving in the presence of God, glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I love this. God works through the early church to impact the world. And what God started there began to spread across the whole world. And every person to hear the gospel to say that you could have a relationship with God. You can have a relationship with him. God loves you. And the gospel spread out. It started there as God was redeeming and restoring his people. You know what? The temple it still has a significant role to play because Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And what it tells us in Daniel, what it tells us in Revelation, as you see all this unfold, is that it says that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to come through the eastern gate of the temple. The eastern gate. Now, we think in America we're the epicenter of the world, right? But really, the epicenter of the world is really what's happening there in Jerusalem. It's what happened there on the temple mound. And the eastern gate, you can see it. And you think, well, it's blocked. Well, that was 1540. Solomon, Ottoman Empire, the sultan, who was a Muslim who said, you know what? If Jesus is supposed to come back through this eastern gate, let's block the gate. And so 16 feet of concrete, he blocked it, and then put a cemetery out in front because he said, no Jewish rabbi will come through a cemetery. But I have a feeling that gate is not going to keep Jesus from coming back. Jesus is going to come back through that gate, and Jesus is going to declare to the whole world, I'm back. And if you miss me the first time, you're not going to miss me this time. Because he will come in the clouds, and nobody will miss him. And he'll be saying, hey, I'm here. And God is true, and his word is right. And if you read to the end of the Bible, God wins. And God's story comes to fruition, and God's got a plan for you. God's got a plan for you. Guys, listen, this is God's redemptive story. And it starts in Genesis as God creates man for relationship with him. It goes to Exodus as God says, hey, make this tabernacle so that I can dwell with my people. Holy God, sinful man. It goes throughout the prophets and the, and the temple and it comes all the way in the New Testament as God says, I'm gonna send my son to redeem you, to pay the price for your sins and then I will come back and bring my own to be with me. And we have been a part of that story and you're a part of that story today. God has chosen you. God loves 
you. God has a plan for you, and God wants to redeem you. I don't know where you are today in your life, but I know this, God is here. And God is drawing you to himself. And God is saying, whatever the world tells you, whatever worry or fear or anxiety you have, you come to me because I will be faithful. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You are forever mine. You hold on to me because I'll always be holding on to you. That's the glory of God. And that's what God wants to do in your life. And that's what God wants to do today. I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment. As you look back on history, it really is his story. It's the story of a loving God who created people for a relationship with him. And, and people sinned and turned their backs on God, but God didn't give up on them. And God doesn't give up on you. And right where you sit today, it's not an accident that you are here. God brought you here today because God has chosen you. And he loves you. And God has a plan and a purpose for you for all eternity, that you would be with him. Maybe right where you are today, just say, God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. <laughs> Forgive me of my sins, Jesus. I'm yours. I want to follow you. Maybe today, right now, you kind of felt like you've been drifting spiritually and God's drawing you back. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin. I'll heal their land. Maybe today, there's forgiveness you need to offer. Maybe today there's something you need to work on in your marriage or with your children or your grandchildren and just say, God, I want to live my life for you. I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss you. I don't want to miss what you're doing. So God, I'm yours. So Father God, here we are, your disciples today. And you have called us for a time such as this in 2018, Father, to be your people. And I pray, Father, you would find us faithful. I pray that you would find us seeking your face, humbling ourselves, and walking in truth and in love. So, Father God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the story that was leading up to you bringing repentance and redemption into this world. And, Father, thank you for choosing us and inviting us into your story and changing our lives for eternity. All glory to you, O oh God, as we celebrate you today. In the beautiful, holy, precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen, amen. After the service, I'll be here. There'll be people on our staff, our pastoral care team. We'd love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. Whatever's going on in your life, guys, listen, you're not alone. You're not alone. There is a God who loves you there is a God who put the whole universe together to say, hey, look at me. Don't forget about me. Everything has been pointing to him. And there's a church body that wants to walk with you as well. It's the power of being in church, in the community, the body of Christ. At this time, I want to invite our ushers to come forward. It's a